Before we turn our attention to the text, I do just want to point out that that last phrase of the song, that, that in all of our lives our every step would be fellowship with thee, is, is probably one of the best ways to encompass what wisdom is, that every step is in fellowship with God, that that really gets at what the richness of wisdom is. And we think of that as we turn our attention to the, the prototypical book of wisdom, Proverbs 4 in the Old Testament. Proverbs 4, this can be found on page 672 of your pew Bibles. We read the entirety of the chapter last week. We will read just verses 20 through 27 on this Sunday morning. Before we go to our Father's instruction of wisdom, let's go to our Father to ask for his aid and understanding and praising him in this time. Let's bow in prayer. Father, through your word and even through this chapter, you instruct your children to pay attention and to heed what are ultimately your words. And we ask as your faithful children, Lord, let us do just that. May we heed and be attentive to the words you speak. May you bless them. May you bless the one who speaks this morning, that you would be with the words, that if there would be anything false or untrue, that they would fall away to not be taken up, but that what is true and right would be spoken and that we would hear it, that we would apply it, and that we would draw near to you through it. We ask this for the fellowship we desire with you in every one of our steps. Amen. Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil thus far in the reading of God's word we come to those words that perhaps none of us actually like to hear it's time for a checkup it's time for a visit to the doctor and whatever doctor you can think of maybe it's that physical that you dislike or the dentist that you don't want to go to it's it's that time for a regular health maintenance something that we we need that's the way one pastor described this chapter proverbs 4 and i think it fits well here we come to a spiritual checkup a checkup of wisdom a checkup for how we are doing and that's what the father of proverbs is himself doing for his son he's he's telling his son to be attentive to these words and then he's probing and he's asking them he's asking his son to to follow these words and and look to themselves to see how's your how's your feet how are your eyes how's your tongue and your your speech how's your heart pressing on all of these things, these spiritual matters, and wondering where his heart is and telling him what he should do. Often, after we go to some kind of checkup, you walk away with a change. You walk away with some kind of advice or some kind of, of doctor's prescription that you need, to, you need to make a change in your diet. 
You, you, can't, you can't eat or drink what you've been doing. You need to cut back. You need to change this. Or you need, to, you need to elevate these nutrients. You need to have these type of vitamins. Or we need to change this medication. Now, that's what should happen every time we come before God's Word. In, in one sense, every time we open the pages of Scripture, it's a spiritual checkup. But we perhaps see that imagery more clearly here especially as we think in the context of wisdom, in gaining an understanding, in gaining what is a better life. And by better life, we mean one that is closer to God, as, as we said already, one that every step is in fellowship with him. We often approach those checkups with a bit of hesitancy, even in the, the physical world. We, we often don't like to do them. And the same type of excuses we may give for, for why we wouldn't go to a, a physical, why we wouldn't go to the, the dentist or the eye doctor or anything like that are, are often excuses we give for why we refrain from spiritual checkups. We, we might say, well, we don't have the time. It's, it's too busy right now. We don't have the time to go and seek the, this checkup. Or we don't have the money. We don't have the money to spend and the resources to spend on it. Or we just don't like the process. We don't feel like we can go through it. It's just something we don't like and something we don't think we really need. Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we're embarrassed that, that we have this issue, or, or perhaps we think we might have this issue, and we really don't want to go and find out that it's true, and so we avoid it. You know, after all, ignorance is bliss. I'll just, I'll just not know, and then I'll be healthy, right? Which is faulty reasoning, and we all know that. Just not knowing, just being ignorant to something doesn't ultimately mean that you're blessed in it. doesn't ultimately mean it won't be an issue. In fact, it just gives that issue greater time to wreak havoc. We also might question, we just don't know who to go visit. All these type of excuses that we apply to, to doctors in the medical realm, but really, as I want to apply it today, what, what we say in the spiritual realm as well, I just don't have the time. To, to pursue that, I might have to get some resources. I might have to spend some money. I don't want to do that. To, to pursue that would require counsel. It would require me to go talk to someone, and I'm embarrassed about what I'm going through. To, to, to actually look at my life through the lens of this wisdom book might mean I'll find something wrong. I would just rather be ignorant to it. All these are, are really foolish excuses things that are allowing our spiritual life to be in danger, and if we want a healthy life before God, we take these checkups. We take his word and we listen to the Father's instruction. That's just the way of wisdom. That illustration does work so well. Look at all the, the imagery that the Proverbs is using here from the physical realm to apply to the spiritual realm. Verse 20 talks about the ear. Verse 21 talks about sight. Verse 21 also talks about the heart. Verse 22, all flesh. Verse 24, the tongue. Verse 25, the eyes. Verse 26, the feet. It's a head-to-toe checkup using that imagery of a physical body. And we begin this morning with our first point, and that's wisdom and the heart. We know that the heart's important to our physical bodies. We know that this is one of the things you'll check first at, at a physical. The doctor will make sure your heart is okay. He will monitor that. And as well, we could take that illustration and apply it to this text because, after all, what it's saying is from the heart springs life itself. The heart is so important. The heart is at the center of our spiritual life. In fact, the health of our heart is so at the center of God's wisdom that if we don't keep the heart, 
Men, we are not wise. We cannot know wisdom. In fact, to, to keep the heart is to live. And that's the way of wisdom itself. Wisdom and the heart. The heart is at the center. And so before we even look at, at, at all these various points of the body and how we are to monitor that to see how our spiritual life is, it's that question, what about your heart? From your heart flows life itself. Now last Sunday, there was a, a, an attention geared especially towards the children, to the youth. But this time, in this point, I want a special word applied to parents using this verse as well as the, the centerpiece of application, the importance of the heart, the importance of the heart even in how you parent. We, we see in Proverbs this, this illustration of instruction from the father's own mouth. Now, there are many layers to that. Who is this father? Is it, is it Solomon who's, who's giving wisdom? Quite likely. Is it, is it then, is it just his words? Well, he's also the king of Israel. He's, but he's speaking to his own son. So is he an example to be followed by the parents in Israel? I would say most certainly. But there, there's a deeper layer there. Solomon, as he's instructing his own son, is really showing that it's God who instructs. This is the word of God. So, so who is the father of Proverbs? Well, is it, is it you? Is it Solomon? Or is it God? And I would say, if you, as long as you appropriately understand that, it is all of the above. It begins with God. God is the Father who is instructing. He is the one who has given Solomon wisdom. It's, it's then Solomon who is presenting that to God's people, and it's presented there not only for their own use personally, but for them to follow and do in their own families as well. You, you see this idea of, of a covenantal instruction. Proverbs 4 began with that in the first five verses. You see that again in verse 10. You see it in verse 20, this attention to the Father's words. So we address that even in the parents and your, your following of this verse to the wisdom and instruction of your children's hearts. Parents have the most influential advisory role in their kid's life. You are the one to instruct and train. You are the one in authority to monitor what's being taught. You are the one to teach them what they need to know. This is, this is your God-given responsibility. But if you don't understand this lesson that what's, what's at the center of wisdom itself is the heart, well, then even your parenting will be, will be wrong-focused. Even your parenting wouldn't be wise. So we need to learn this lesson. You have that most important level for instruction in your kid's life, but you also have the most important example, the most important example to give, which then means that you better, more even than your, your kid's, take this checkup and to take it regularly, to know that you're living in this way to provide this example, I'd put it this way, you're sort of cut off before you begin if your life isn't in tune to wisdom itself to then instruct your kids in the way of wisdom. How can you take up that mantle of a father or mother and say, listen to my words, when you don't listen to the word of God itself your own example and your own life before them in your home must be one that is pursuing this wisdom. And then that you come to them with that instruction because you're not only living it, you're not only their example, but you've, you've walked this path, you know it. And so the call would be, fathers, train your sons. You as fathers are the spiritual heads of your home. This means, as I heard another helpfully put it, you may delegate, but you may not abdicate that responsibility. 
You may delegate, but you may not abdicate that responsibility. What does this mean? It means that often you will, you will delegate the instruction and the training of your kids to others. You will, in ways, hand it off to, to others that they would be elements and instruments to bring them into wisdom. But you do not abdicate that responsibility. You do not just hand it off and wipe your hands like, that's it, I'm done, I put them in front of the experts. No, you you are the one who's responsible. You and your, your wife in the, in the home. It starts with fathers, though. Both fathers and mothers are given the authority and responsibility. They're given the charge by God to raise their kids in the fear of the Lord. You see, the danger here, first of all, is that you would abdicate that responsibility. There's an appropriate way that you do delegate it. You delegate it to schools and senses and to teachers and instructions. That happens. But what is the danger and what we see happen all too regularly is that we hand it off and think that they're, they're now taken care of. And we don't take it up ourselves. That the school's got it all handled. That they, they're learning all they need to in Bible class. And to homeschool families, this doesn't mean just because you homeschool, you got it right either. You can, you can be doing it not at all or poorly in your own home. Are you training your kids in the way they should go? Are you taking up that responsibility that God says is yours to have? No matter who you're delegating authority to, the chances are that they're not as interested in building character as they are in head knowledge. Even the, the nature of what schools have to be can't really require a teacher to delve into character building for each student. It's more geared to knowledge, and that's, that's the way of things. But that's not what you can do. What's vital is that your, your training so that the head matches the heart, because if the heart's not involved, then the head doesn't matter. If there's just obedience to a set of principles or laws, that's not the way of wisdom if it's not flowing from the heart. Character building is so important. It's safe to say that most Christian homes, even in our nation, neglect that instruction and that theological and biblical training, neglect that, and in many respects, it's because the parents are neglecting it too. We can't do that. We have to be steeped in it. We have to be pursuing it ourselves so that we can pass it on to our kids. Otherwise, we won't be able to. It starts with you and your heart, and then it flows to your kids and to their instruction. And that's it's very practical as raising kids, too. Are you interested more in their behavior or their heart? Because what Proverbs 4 is directing to is, yes, a lot of behavioral ideas, a lot of wisdom in how you act, but it's flowing first from a desire and from the heart itself. If all we're concerned about is the, the, the obedience of kids and their behavior, we're missing the point that first is us to bring it to their heart. Some of you have uh, gone through Shepherding a Child's Heart with us in, in the uh, Friday Nighters. We've gone through some of the videos. You heard Ted Tripp make this illustration. I want to use it. I think it's a really good one. That if it's parenting for behavior, it's, if you're more concerned that your kids just act according to a set of, of acceptable rules or principles, then, then that's good. And if you leave it there, you, you've missed the whole point. It's like, and this is the illustration he uses, a fruit tree in your backyard that is not producing fruit. And year after year, there's, there's nothing there, or what it produces is, is fruit that's diseased and bad. 
And then eventually what you do, and this is what Ted Tripp says, you know, you go to the store and you buy a whole bunch of apples, the best looking apples you can get, and you bring it home and then you take your fishing line and then you tie all the apples to the tree so that on the outside, this tree looks wonderful. This tree looks like it's producing mighty, good, blessed fruit. But that's, that's not it. It says in his illustration, what would happen if your wife came home? Your wife would think you're nuts. You took a ladder out there and you, you tied a bunch of apples to a tree. That's not the point of having a fruit tree. You want the tree to produce good fruit. And it's the same in our own life. That's the same in our kids' lives. We're not interested in ornamenting what might be a diseased tree. We're not interested even in just ornamenting a tree. We're interested that the tree would produce good fruit by being connected to Christ himself. See, that's what it's getting at. The Bible uses the very similar imagery, actually, of that vine and being connected to the vine or grafting into Christ itself. The tree won't produce the fruit. None of us will produce fruit if we're not joined to Christ, if we're not connected to him. And insofar as we are, and our heart is, is connected to Christ, then the fruit comes. And what this means then in parenting is it's not just about punishing the behavior that's wrong or telling them what to do. It's wanting them to know why they did it. It's wanting them to choose to do what is right to produce fruit. It's about the heart. It's not just giving some, some punishment and hoping that now they'll know better than to do that again. Truly good work only comes when it's arising from a heart that desires to do it for God. And, and is, that, is that what we're doing ourselves? And is that what we're teaching our kids to do? Proverbs 24-23 is at the center of that instruction. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The heart needs to be understood as not the way we, we normally think of the heart, as just emotions, just, just a feeling. It's that. It contains that. But if you merge the idea of, of the feelings, the emotions, with the mind, you're probably getting closer to the biblical idea of the heart. The heart is the center of our decision-making. It's, it's the center of what we value and desire and what we know. And we're making the decisions from what we know to be true. It's why we make the decision we do. It's why we pursue the thing that we do. That's the heart. That was, that's what must be at the center of our life. The Bible uses that terminology and the union with the true vine Christ to bear that fruit. It's, it's not about making us cleansed on the outside like Jesus told of the Pharisees. It's not just about having the outside looking all nice because if the inside is not what it should be, then the whole vessel is, is unclean. But if the inside is clean, what it will produce is what is clean. And it's far, far better, far, far, far more rewarding for in your own life and your kids' lives to see fruit that is not constantly being you taking the ladder out, climbing on top of it, and hanging a good behavior on a branch, but, but to see them do it themselves. But apply that to your own heart, too. It's, it's not just that you're decorating your life with fruit. You're seeking it to flow from the, the deepest parts of your desires and will and understanding. That's what 
true eternal life means. True eternal life in God won't come from behavior, but it will come from a changed heart, from a true connection to who God is, to Jesus Christ. So that's the importance of the heart. Next we move to verses 24 through 27, and here's where we get into the nitty-gritties of the checkup. Using that illustration, the doctor, the father of Proverbs, also wearing the hat of the doctor in our sermon here, has has talked about that most important and vital thing, the heart. And, And now let's look at the rest of the body and what this means for wisdom. Verse 24 talks about crooked and devious talk. So here's that question. The father, the doctor here, is asking you that question. Well, how's your speech? How's your talk? How's your mouth? What's, what's coming from it? What's, what's being produced from it? Does it signify that you are, are right in your heart and intentions, that your life is for the Lord? Or does it signify something else? Is it crooked and devious talk? Well, what is that type of speech? Well, it's lies. It's speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You never know where someone stands. Is your word your bond? If you give your word, will you you keep it because you gave your word? Or do you have no problem with, with saying you'll do something and not performing it, that your word means nothing? Is it devious? Is it crooked? Does it hurt? Does it hurt others? Is your tongue and your speech used to hurt others? And boys and girls, think of this and as, as, as you're thinking of the way you talk, as you talk to your classmates or your friends or your siblings or, or your parents, is the way you talk the way God would want you to? Is it right? Or, or are you angry when you talk? Are you insulting when you talk? Do you, do you call others names? You see, if that's what's being produced, then that would show you, hey, there's a problem in the heart. There's, there's a problem there. You know, in the in the exam, you might have, hey, your uh, your your blood pressure is a little high. Hey, your cholesterol is a little high. Hey, there's something there that needs to be taken care of. Hey, is your words in tune? If not, there's something that needs to be taken care of. There's something that's not right. You you do now. We're getting at the behavior. You do need to bring your behavior in line with God's word, and that's the desire of your heart. Is the speech disfiguring, brutal, deceptive? You like to give verbal lashings. And, and how about when something happens to produce it? If, if someone insults you, what do you do? Is it your immediate reaction to just insult back? If you're angry and, oh, you have a temper, you just fly off with that anger? That's not the way of wisdom. That needs to be changed. You need a different dosage of vitamins. You need to be looking at that in God's Word. What does He say about how we talk? What does He say about anger in our response? And what is righteous anger versus what is unholy anger? We'll get at a lot more of this when we come to the ninth commandment in the Catechism, but here we see that in the context of wisdom's way. There's also a potential double meaning in this verse. This verse, is it saying rather that, that you don't speak this way yourself, or is it referring that you shouldn't even be hearing it, that you shouldn't even be around it, that, that the, the speech that flies around you is wrong and you shouldn't be in that context? I think it, it may very well be that double meaning, that it's, that's not only what you say, it's what you're around what you listen to, and in that way it's getting at how's your tongue and how's your ears? Are they wise? 
Do they say what's right? When you're with your friends, and in and, and that context, often you, you can say something without judgment because sin produces sin. And that's the way it happens most often, is that one person can say something, and the next person can say something even worse, or just continue with what's going on. And, and what's fostered is this idea of sin as opposed to holiness and wisdom. How do you talk? Verse 25, let's look at a different part of the body. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Where do you set your eyes and your attention? Looking straight ahead is the idea of being singularly focused on a task. You're devoted to it. Every, every step you take has that goal in mind. You're setting your gaze on that point and you're pursuing it. And the idea there is that your, your eyes are, setting, are set on what you want on what you greatly desire, and so everything you're doing is to gain it. Are you setting your gaze then on Christ? Or along that path where there's all these temptations, do do your eyes wander and glance to the left and to the right at the temptations there, and you're not singularly focused? Your eyes aren't as healthy as they ought to be. Just like every time you go to a doctor's office, it's never like you have a perfect bill of health. Well, every time we take the spiritual checkup, you're never going to walk away and say, I'm perfect. You shouldn't. Otherwise, you're not reading it, right? We all have ways that we can, we can change. Where, where's our eyes? Where, what are they directed to? Are you setting your gaze firmly on what our Heavenly Father and hopefully our Earthly Father are, are teaching you? to be so focused to that that you, you wouldn't be tripped up by the temptations of life. Parents, are you mindful of your own speech and your own sight before your kids? Are you mindful of how your own kids talk and what they set their gaze on, what's their desires? You see in your kids, you know, my, my son is, is very devoted to things, finds a lot of his happiness in objects and things, and I need to, I need to be mindful of that. I need to to talk to him about that and to say to, 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 to have things is not in, in necessarily wrong, but, but if, you're, if your gaze is directed to that as your pursuit and that's what you're going after, that's wrong. It needs to be God and Christ. That's not the right path. Be mindful then of, of your own children and what they might desire and what they want. As, as much as you can as a parent, you try to have a, a relationship with your kids to be aware of their, their struggles in their trials, that you can walk with them in that. Now, that means you have a, a good relationship with them. It's, it's, not all, it's not all authoritative do's and don'ts. Especially as they get older, sometimes that's, you know what I struggle with, son? You know I struggle with, daughter? You know the lessons I've learned through my mistakes are these? It's a, it's a sharing. It's a, a, a great growth in that, in that bond. And, and you're confiding in each other. And that's the goal of communication there. Being aware then of that heart. Being aware of, of what these, these gazes might mean. Are you looking to other things? We can spend an awful lot of time as parents. I'm going to kind of pick on the dads here. It comes more naturally to, to me to be able to think of examples with this. But, but we, we like to talk in, in many ways about, about work and, and sports and, and other, other matters that we might like, of hunting, of, of whatever hobbies we might like. And in that way, we often bond with, with kids. But it's far, far, far more important to bond with them over spiritual matters in the heart than it is those 
It doesn't need to be one or the other. I would say do both, but, but prioritize the heart and understanding that. It's an exhortation then. It's a, it's a call to both you as parents and you kids as, as your fathers would desire this or, or do this, that you would respond and that you would do the same, that you would share, that you would rely on them. How are your eyes, is the question. What are you looking to? Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be sure. Here, now we're looking at the feet. We're looking at the structure of the body, the bones, the muscles. We're, we're looking at where you're going, what you're pursuing actually in your, not just your gazes and desires, but where you're, you're heading and, and, and the steps you're taking. People of God, do you consider your path? Now, let's probe this. What does that mean? If you're going to consider your path biblically, what do you need to do? Reflect on it. And how are you going to reflect on it? Well, you've you got to use God's word to do that. Is, is my path and what I am walking towards and how I'm living my life, is that the path of God? Is that scriptural? Is the decisions I'm making with God's will in mind? Is this what he tells me to do? Is this how I spend my money? Is this how I spend my time? Is this the wisest way to, to, to pursue as a family? Is your path set before you? Is, is its ways sure? A lot of confidence can be had by knowing your path is, is set and it's sure. Now, normally, we like to do that according to our plans. Like, we, we think we got it all figured out, our way set, because we got this job we like, and, and our family's healthy, and it's sure. But that, that's not the security or sureness of a path. The security or sureness of a path is that I know that what I'm doing and what my family are doing is in line with, God, with God's word. It's sure. I don't need to deviate. I don't need to question if what I'm doing is the right, wise way, because God's word says it. Is it sure and right? Is Scripture your guide? This also then presents a, an application. We can come to places in life when we're confronted with paths that differ. Of the sure way of God, or, or here's this path that, that wanders to the right or to the left. It wanders into lust. It wanders into greed. It wanders into gluttony. It wanders into these other things. And, and what are you going to pursue? Well, you know and you should know because you're steeping yourself in God's word and the wisdom there that the sure route is this path right before me. But we, be, we come to those places where that's the way I should go, but I want that. It's like we briefly have that, that time. Our eyes aren't right. Our path isn't right. Our feet aren't right. We, we turn our attention, and this is the desire. Well, what do we do? Do we pursue that? We, we come to that in our life where you know what you really want isn't what God tells you. You know it's a sin to do that. And, and you know what's scary is how easy it is to say, I'm just going to just, just take this detour. You know, here's the highway of, of God's truth. There's the rest stop. I, the, the road connects back, I'm sure. Let me, just, let me just walk down this brief little path, fulfill that desire, and hop back on. We, we do that all the time. God is so gracious that he forgives, but that's, that's not the way of wisdom. That's not the right path. And it's by doing those things that you get further and further and further away and your path is unsure, and your feet are in trouble. That's, that's what we must do. What will you do? 
when presented even with those temptations and things that you want. And the idea of pondering your path, you could even see it in the Pew Bibles. There's that letter there, and and the number there, I mean. And, And possibly what this contains is really the idea of making it level. You could maybe translate it, that, that you're making the path level. What would that then convey to this meaning? It's, it's, are you rightly leveling out your path? Meaning, are you making the path before you passable? Are you removing the obstacles? Now, ultimately, I think it will mean virtually the same thing as just setting your gaze on the right one. But now you're adding to it the idea that in your path, in the, in the way of your pursuit of God, are these obstructions and obstacles. Are you using God's word? Are you using all that's in you to, to take them away? And that your path is one that's clearing out the obstructions and the sins. Verse 27 shows what we are to do when we are on God's path of wisdom, that we don't swerve, that we don't turn our feet. Ultimately, the heart is what matters. Your heart must first be fully given over to Christ, or else there is no capacity to be wise. There's no capacity to follow this path. There will be no desire in it. We are light bulbs, and unless we are are screwed into the socket of Jesus Christ where we can receive him, that electricity, we will not shine in this world. We need to be screwed in, and as as we sometimes loosen up, we continue to tighten. That's the checkup. That's the way of wisdom. Continue to be plugged in and joined to Christ. The rest will not matter. The rest will not gain you anything before God. If you go before God having walked what you thought was a wise path in accordance with his principles on Judgment Day, You will be cast off if you weren't in Christ. Your deeds will not make a difference if you're not on the path of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's the way. Being a believer won't take you from the battle. You will still have to fight it. There will still be things you must overcome, great battles. There are still going to be stumbling blocks upon which you fall, but the way of wisdom is to continue to always find yourself and your way back to that. We end on on the whole point of the chapter, and that's that exhortation, wisdom's exhortation. What this text is is saying, what the Father is saying, what God is saying, what, what is that? Proverbs, these first four chapters, are quite repetitive. They're circling around a lot of the same things, and that repetition isn't to make us uh, think it's dull. It's to make us see the point. And what God is saying is, do you get it yet? What God's word is saying to you as you sit there in the pew, do you get it yet? Pursue me through my word. Be steeped in it. Do you understand it? It's not that difficult to get, the father of Proverbs is saying. Be attentive to my words. That's what God is saying. Humble yourself and follow it. Do you get it? Are you striving for maturity? Young people, are you taking it up to live wisely right now instead of needing your hand held in your spiritual life and spiritual health? Are you taking it up to to pursue wisdom's way and the way of maturity? Or are you like little kids that need to be told to wash your hands and to brush your teeth, to do all these types of things and and, and apply that to your own heart for God? Are are you needing to be told to do all these good things? Are you needing to be told to pray? Are you needing to be told to read God's word? Are you needing to be told that we need to go to church? Or are you making it your own? 
Boys, become men. Become men and become it as soon as you can. Righteous men of wisdom, girls, become women. Enough of this cultural idea that you're not supposed to be mature until you're 30 or 35 or 40. I don't even know now what's an adult and the world doesn't. But the Father, our Father in heaven, is saying, get this and be wise. Put off what's juvenile. Put off what's not right. Put off what he hasn't told you to do or pursue and pursue what he has. That's the way of health. It's the way of knowledge. Are you even willing to make the most meager of sacrifices to gain wisdom? The most meager of sacrifices? What do I mean? I'm just using this as an example. Apart from the daily devotions that we would do, uh, would you even sacrifice 15 minutes of your time to, to, to pursue something that's wisdom, to pursue to pursue God's word in, in, a, in a deeper way? We talked about that a little bit last time. Good books understanding theology, seeking to, to gain a, in a more studied way the knowledge of God. I heard someone say that, uh, the ex- experts say that even 15 minutes of, of reading per day would likely correspond to 15 to 20 of the average side books in a year. Reading is a lost art. I, again, this is just a, an example of application. It doesn't need to be that, but are you willing to make a meager sacrifice? Because what it's not enough to do is to sit here and say, yeah, that's right, and that's good, and then don't pursue it. Again, that's, that's, that's meaningless. Make the sacrifices for wisdom, pursue it. Your response to, to Proverbs 4 could produce huge dividends in your life in your wisdom, in your walk with God? How much time do you spend on other matters? How much time do we spend on on gaming systems? Or how much time do we spend pursuing money and work? And let me tell you too, again, young people, you often reach an age where you think now the mature and wise thing for me to do is to make something of myself, to pursue work and to be a diligent, hard worker. And God's word, Proverbs itself, would say, absolutely do that and be wise and mature, but what you should not do is allow that to become your pursuit and cut out what's this, this pursuit of wisdom, to cut out what's better. What God is telling us is, that pursuing him instead of those other matters is what's far, far superior. The fear of the Lord is far better than a, a great job and, and, a, and a lot of money and wealth. It doesn't compare. We had seen that earlier in, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. What does the text say in verses 7 and 8? The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. There's an if there. If you get it. If you pursue Christ. If you pursue it, you will be embraced by wisdom. Verse 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And that's where we we return back here as we end. It's that heart. That heart for God. How serious are we taking the opportunities that we have? How serious are we taking the time that we have? Which, which by the way, what God doesn't say 
is that every minute of your life has to either be spent in working or reading my word. He doesn't say that, and that's not the intent. God has given us, God's given us seven days to work and, and then to one to rest, to one to pursue him. God, God isn't saying that, that you can't even have hobbies and other things, but that all that you do, your pursuit of hobbies, your pursuit of work, your pursuit of rest, your pursuit of worship, will be done in this manner. And of all of our lives, we have the opportunity to pursue him in deeper and better ways, even while we're doing all of that. And that's the point. Do we prioritize that? Are we taking the example, the opportunities, and the most of the opportunities we have, boys and girls, young people, Sunday school, catechism, are you making the most of that? Making the most of those opportunities? Are you? A wise, a wise response would be, yeah, you should. This is, this is a time where you can lay a great foundation. And parents, are, are, you, are you the ones laying that example and showing them how important that is, how important it is to, to understand God's Word, how important it is to go to Sunday school catechism? And, and again, going back to what we said earlier, that's not where it ends. You're doing the same in your home, and you're doing it in a far more thorough way because that's your call as a parent. Apart from the the main desire to worship God, are you prioritizing worship for those reasons? Again, the main desire is we, we desire to give him worship, we desire to praise his name and to give thanks, and that's why we come, but we also know that through it comes understanding and wisdom. Are you prioritizing that? Uh, we even have a, a second service that most of the time is specifically geared to performing what Proverbs 4 is saying to do, instruction and teaching in God's word. Do we prioritize these things? Jesus doesn't want trees decorated with ornaments. Jesus doesn't desire theological head knowledge disconnected from the heart. He desires your heart. And all the rest flow from that. If chapter 3 showed wisdom as that happy life and the blessed life, chapter 4 shows wisdom as the healthy life to respond to this checkup. You might think, if only I had someone to train me like the father of Proverbs, if only I had that. But you do. You do have that. You have God's Word. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the church. You have all you need. Get wisdom, people of God, and do it from your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you as is fitting to request what we've heard and to request that we would get wisdom. And before anything else, we'd get Wisdom, But we understand through the, the light and through the glasses of your word what that means. It's not get a bunch of knowledge. It's not get a bunch of intelligence. It's get a walk. It's get a fellowship. It's, it's know God and live it. So give us that as wisdom. May we know you in these things. Stoke within all of our hearts that fire and as we walk away from this, this checkup of our spiritual lives, may we walk away healthier than when we approached. And may we do this every day of our lives. We pray this in your name.